With COVID-19, we all thought this podcast would be shut down. We were all wrong. This is above the fold and below your expectations. Welcome, everyone, to Above the Fold. It has been a long, long time since we've posted anything. Um, Part of that is Jeff. He just travels all over the place. He barely answers my text messages. Uh, Part of it's me. I got a new job moving around in uh, in my professional world. But let's just be honest. It's mostly Jeff. It's Jeff's fault that we haven't haven't recorded in a while. Um, And Jeff, where, where are you in the world today? But if I may set the record straight, I have not been traveling. You can try. (laughs) I have not been traveling. I was in Romania and I was diagnosed with not one, but three hernias and a root canal all at the same time. So I had to come home. As a matter of fact, I was not traveling. I was on my recovery bed from December until just about three weeks ago when I've come down to Columbia. I'm down in Columbia for the fourth time now. So... You can take some of that anger back and put it in your own corner, projecting I'll, out. I'll, I'll take you will. it and just play the smallest violin in the world for you <laughs> right now. I, on I get in, internal surgery and I get a tiny violin. What, <laughs> what, what does it take for the full brass section to come out? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to try. That's that's your that's your goal for 2022. <laughs> um, well, well, that's what's been going on with me, man. Nothing. No big deal. <laughs> As always, it is always better when Jeff and I have guests. Otherwise, this whole podcast devolves into just two guys bantering on anything other than uh, than digital marketing. So always happy to bring someone on. Um, Today we have with us Neil Schaefer. Um, Neil, thank you for being um, on the show. And if you could, let's let's have a quick uh, background view for our audience. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I can't say I'm in Romania or Colombia. I can't say that I've had root canal surgery, although I have had it in my life. Um, but uh, I'm here in uh, sunny Orange County, California, in the wonderful city of Irvine. I am a digital social media marketing author, consultant speaker, written a few books, uh, taught at a few universities, do what I call fractional CMO consulting for a number of clients. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just really, uh, enjoy doing what I'm doing and always looking to better my own game, the game of my clients and share what I've learned with my audience. One of, so one of the first, first of all, before you even get into questions, you, it should also be mentioned, you have a podcast too. And when I was looking through it, you, you post way more frequently than we ever do. Um, and mainly again, because of Jeff, but, um, Neil, Talk a little bit. I mean, how how did you find podcasting? How much do you enjoy it? Um, and how does it help you professionally? Yeah, podcasting is really funny. So I began my podcast back in 2013 as a content marketing initiative, end quote. Those were air quotes. And <laughs> I think a lot of us, this sort of gets into some of content marketing. Some of we we sort of do these things thinking that they're good for our business or for ourselves. And we never tie the two together. And we're not passionate about it. So the funny thing is I had a podcast really active from 2013 to 15, 16. And then I just completely unplugged from it. I didn't find joy from it in the words of Marie Kondo. And uh, I went elsewhere. Um, It was when in late 2019 with one of my clients where I was talking and she's like, oh, I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm like, hi, I listen to Spotify. I listen to music all the time in my car. She goes, no, you got to listen to podcasts. They're, They're like brain food. And so I'm like, okay, well, I read blog posts. I watch YouTube videos. Uh, if I want to become a better podcaster, I should probably listen to podcasts, which I'm really ashamed to say I didn't do until that point. And once I began to listen to podcasts, it's like, holy smokes, 
I've been getting it all wrong. And it's one of the things I teach people is that you have to consume the content that you want to promote on your own, right? So once I began listening to podcasts, I'm like, wow, I, I want to redo it. And I was coming out with my fourth book at the time, The Age of Influence, which published in March of 2020, really good timing. But um, late in 2019, <laughs> I started committing to this is going to become a strategic marketing initiative for me. And since then, I'm stuck to it. And I'm really targeting publishing 50 episodes a year. So hopefully my first episode in 2023 will be episode number 300. And it's a mix of half is me solo and half, generally speaking, is with guests. And what I find, what's really interesting is that when I sell something, so recently I introduced my first digital product, which is like a mastermind community. And outside of people that, that you know knew about me from my website, the second area was my podcast. More than people who bought my books, saw me speak, went to my classes, what have you. So podcasting, it's a smaller number, but the way to look at it is, hey, you know, if you're speaking to a room of 100 or 200 or 300 or 400 people on a weekly basis, that's really an awesome opportunity to create a more intimate conversation. And as we know, we tend to develop intimate converse, intimate relationships with podcasters because we spend so much time with them and they're in our ears, they're in our car. So it's a special medium that a lot of brands have opened up to, which is great to see. And I think there's a lot of potential. I mean, I would first have a blog and, and have a YouTube channel before a podcast if I was going to do it the right way. But if uh, you love to speak and there's a lot of interesting guests that you can pull in, uh, I think podcasting can help you uh, tick a lot of boxes on your marketing strategies. It's one of those weird mediums. It's unlike anything else where when you're listening you're immersed in the conversation. You, you'll get immersed in a conversation with a blog, YouTube, you're still watching, watching something at something, but it almost feels like you're in the conversation in a podcast when you're listening to it and you're in the room and there is no other medium like that. And like you said, it is smaller numbers, but you offer a, some degree of intimacy where the audience goes, Oh, I know this person, you know, it's like forming a level of trust that you just can't get in another medium. I had another comment on that. It's funny. We we started podcasting without knowing what we were doing as as well. And I would say you should go back and Still listen done. to our first podcast, but I you probably shouldn't because they're <laughs> atrocious. We've done that as a joke every now and then. And um, the result is always the same. Actually, it's usually worse every time, every go around. Well, I'd say the really other thing I want to say about podcasting is it's sexy because it gives you a way to network with people. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, can I interview you for my blog? I'm busy. You know, you, you don't really do a lot of blog interviews or YouTube interviews, but podcasting is a medium where it's okay and people mm -hmm. appreciate interviews. And therefore, a lot of people may not give you the time of the day, but if you invite them to be on your podcast, you'd be surprised as to how many people really value that opportunity. Yep. So uh, that's sort of a hint. Um, just from the networking perspective or getting to know your customers better and bringing them into your podcast, or your employees, there's just so many ways that it can be utilized once you start thinking outside of the box. Not only it's that. Such, it's such a good point. Yeah, But it's just fun. It's fun to do. Like, it's an easy way to create content. Like, I love this. We're meeting a new person here today. We're going to talk about all kinds of different content marketing, marketing strategies, and, and whatever we want to get into. You've got some interesting stuff in your bio, but it's like an easy, it's like a cheating way to create content. Otherwise, we're typing out a blog post, right? That's can be fun, but also it's it's very much work, right? Different mindset. Uh, podcasting extremely creative, especially when you don't have when you have an outline, but you don't have that script, you know, written in word like a blog post. Yep. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's a lot of fun.
Well, I'm glad I'm go- we're glad you found joy again. Let's just say that um, that you you're doing the podcast. So um, jumping into um, you had mentioned social media. And so I wanted to jump in here. Um, but instead of asking you, you know, let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about, you know, you know, what is the best you know platform for whatever? I wanted to start from the beginning. Um, what was your first experience with social media? When what, when was your first time? You know, and and what was what was your first impression? Man, this sounds like a conversation I, I had with my wife when I was dating her. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's take that aside. So my first impression, so my background before social media, yes, I, I did exist before social, uh, was in B2B sales, biz dev, um, some marketing as well. But I was basically a country manager uh, and I, I worked in Asia in countries that spoke foreign languages. So it's a long story, but it was back in 2004 and it's perhaps I worked at uh, a, uh, you know, I, I worked at a high tech company that was listed on NASDAQ, um, from the Silicon Valley area. And I received an invite to go on the LinkedIn. So I am one of the first million people because some business development professional in my industry was aggressively like sending out the invites to everybody became one of those open networkers and I accepted it. And I didn't really do anything with it like most people. But it was when back in 2008, when I moved back to the United States for the first time, because after university, I went straight out to Asia where I launched my career, uh, where I was looking for a job in, uh, in an area where I didn't really have any connections that I said, you know what, um, I'm going to tap into LinkedIn and see how it might benefit my job search. But it was after I tapped into it and became proficient at it that I realized that it's really a business tool. And that's really the approach I took Starting in 2008, when I found that job, but the day I got the offer letter, I decided to launch a blog. And I don't know if you remember, but LinkedIn used to support applications and there was a WordPress.com application. So that's how I launched my blog, uh, July, I think it was July 4th, 2008, actually, when I wrote my first blog post. And it was really to continue to network. Even though I'm working, I know that that is going to help me network and find, you know, leads, be able to map out organizations, get introductions to decision makers. And so I realized that was going to become part of my professional infrastructure. And I was already seeing LinkedIn differently because I would do a search for uh, Japanese, um, you know, B2B sales. And because I had the most connections, I was showing up number one in search results. The way that the LinkedIn search algorithm used to work, it was number of connections in descending order if you had that keyword in your profile. So it's like, holy smokes, this is incredible. So which prompted me to obviously do more networking. But that's when I realized it's a tool. LinkedIn had these answer forums. I was very active in you know answering questions. I was joining LinkedIn groups and joining in conversations. So when I launched my blog and I started sharing this information, I started to be seen as a LinkedIn expert. And when the Lehman Brothers crash came and my company decided to pull the plug on international biz dev in Asia after three and a half months after hiring me, that's when I said, you know what, uh, maybe I should take this to the next level. And I turned that blog into a book. And uh, as it published, I had my first speaking opportunity. This happened in 2009. And then in January 2010, I had a bunch of companies reach out to me saying they wanted help with their social media. They didn't know what they didn't know. They just wanted some help. Um, and because I don't have an agency background, that's when I launched a consultancy. And I haven't looked back since. That is so fascinating. That's LinkedIn. And it's funny because I feel like everyone has that same sort of like, oh, I'll, I'll join LinkedIn. And they don't, do, they don't do anything for a while. I know I was the same way for years. I just didn't touch it. You just you had to have one on your resume. So you, so you looked, quote unquote, normal. Um, but it's so interesting that it started from there and natural place for it to, to network. And then you found a way to essentially parlay that into 
kind of where you're at now. So follow up question with that was has it has it always just been LinkedIn? I mean, you mentioned before, you know, before you you should really experience you should jump into the thing, you know, you're trying to to trying to utilize when you're talking about podcasting. Um, have you jumped into other social media? Um, oh, absolutely. And and I, you know, back in 2009 in March, when I finished the rough draft, i had already joined Twitter back in November 2008. And Facebook was starting to open up. So I joined Facebook in March of 2009. After I finished the rough draft of my book, it's like, okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> um, and that's when actually Twitter became my second love. And I actually had a proposal for a Twitter book. I ended up publishing a second book on LinkedIn after that. But I also realized that I can't dictate. I don't work for LinkedIn. I'm not an evangelizer of their platform. And I can't dictate the needs that my customers have, which may not fit. You know, LinkedIn may not be the best fit for them, right? As a, as a consultant that's truly pursuing best practices. So I had to learn these other networks. And that's really been my policy to today. I, I, I do not want to be a one trick pony only known for one thing because it's not reality, right? Even when, you know, I just did a, a, a consulting call and it's a coach and, you know, she's doing a lot of LinkedIn automation. I'm like, well, what about everything else? What about your SEO? What about your, you know, uh, email marketing. Um, what about other networks like Facebook, where you can make an interesting, interestingly intimate relationship with people that maybe you can't on LinkedIn or, or Instagram for that matter. So it's really about trying to, I won't say master, but know enough about each one to be considered dangerous. Um, but at the end of the day, being able to help my clients in whatever need that they may have, and it's never going to be limited to just one social network. It's, it's, it's an omni-channel experience as we all know. When you first started out, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, that, that uh, people didn't know what they didn't know. Um, have you found that that <laughs> I mean, as 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 social media has progressed, I mean, it just it's got more complicated. There's more platforms. Um, have you found that's still the case where people will come to you and say, I just don't know what I don't know or have the questions become a lot more mature and maybe even more specific um, toward the platform? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously evolved over time. I started out just purely doing social media marketing strategy consulting. And there were enough companies trying to figure it out. And I was helping them create strategies. And I think we're, we're beyond that now. Um, you know, you get an interesting mix of people. Uh, you get some people that have found what they think is the solution, but they're so narrow in their focus that they're missing the big picture. I, I always like to take a really holistic look at things. So you know, oh, I know that I need, I know that Google My Business is the secret to my success. Well, why is that the case? Let's take a step back and look at what you're doing. Who's your target customer? What are your products and services? What does your funnel look like? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I find that more people are more knowledgeable, but they're not, it's not always the best knowledge. It's usually very, very narrow, just focused on like one platform or one tool or one technique. I just uh, got back from a conference speaking to a few thousand real estate agents and they're being told by all the gurus that they need to do video. Well, it's like, why? Right. Um, let's take a step back. I can show you data that carousel photos actually outperform videos on Facebook and Instagram. Right. Oh, you want to do YouTube? Well, um, you know, YouTube's global. It's not necessarily a local audience. I have a, a real estate agent friend who does a lot of YouTube, gets tens of thousands of views. It doesn't really help his agency because it's people that just want to look inside luxury homes, not necessarily <laughs> buy from. Them. So, so it, it raises all these questions and that's the process that you have to go through. Right. I don't want to say it's like a Yoda-like process, but in order to understand the true potential and, and the right strategies, you really need to take a step back and look at everything new. And, and a lot of companies are just, you know, they're used to doing things the way they're doing it. Social media marketing in some ways has become this legacy mm. item that their traditional marketing was 10 years ago. 
And, you know, I wrote this book, The Age of Influence, about influencer marketing back in 2020. And I find the same thing. They're still in the old social media marketing. Well, I'll just do Facebook ads. It's like, well, that's not social media. That's paid media, right? Um, you're not taking advantage of the opportunities. So it's almost like the same arguments about, and now we have the creator economy and, you know, which is influencer marketing, but people understand that a little bit better. Um, and it's, it's the same argument as 10 years ago when they were launching social media marketing budgets. What's the ROI of this? So, um, and then it's like, well, what about email marketing? I have a client, they make more uh, sales in the email marketing than their six figures in Google ad spend right? Seriously. Um, so you got to put everything together. And that's why, you know, I always start with this very, very open conversation and try to dig into, um, you know, what, what is the reality? Why haven't they seen the results? And it's often because it's, they've just gone, you know, one route, they're really fixed in their thinking. They have this legacy infrastructure that they think they need to use. Um, so yeah, it's advanced, but not always in the best way. So what do you, what do you find the reaction is to when you're, overhauling a strategy and you're saying, okay, these, these ruts that you've dug into, we're going to break out of those. We, we're going to start experimenting anew and you blow their minds. And what does that look like? What does their response generally look like? Well, like I said, I don't come with an agenda. I am a I'm like a Switzerland. I don't even know if they're neutral anymore, but um, you know, I, I come with a very, very neutral mm. best practices, data-driven approach, right? Let's see what the data shows us. Mm -hmm. And if I have first party data that I can pull from my clients or other data that exists in the internet, like, Hey, abandoned carts, 80% of you know shopping carts are abandoned. Do, do we have a sequence set up? For instance, I know I'm getting in the weeds here, but it's, it's really that data-driven approach and one of the things that I talked about in my previous book back in 2013 called Maximize Your Social, which is really sharing my process of creating a social media marketing strategy, is this concept I learned when I worked at, at a Japanese manufacturer for semiconductors called PDCA or the Deming Circle, Plan, Do, Check, Act, right? And it's this, it's this never-ending Kaizen circle. So part of it is, based on data, we need to shift things. The other part is, until you do it, you don't know how it's going to perform. It's all an experiment. So you have to, for some of this, you have to take an experimental attitude and we need some data. And once we have the data, we can tweak it. And when we compare it to the other channels, if it's not working, we cut it off or we set it at a minimum, right? But, you know, it has to be data-driven. And if you don't have the data, you need to experiment and get that data so that we can prove these theories correct or incorrect. And you, you continue moving forward from there. So for companies that get it, it becomes very powerful, but you have to, you know, when I uh, present a lot, I have a... a you know, Statue of Liberty photo, and it says in data we trust, right? So it, it all comes down to, do you want to have that data-driven approach to this? Or do you want to go by gut feel and emotion? If you want to go by gut feel and emotion, um, you might hit it out of the park. It's like TikTok. Your video might get a million views or might get no views. Um, I'd rather go with the data because I think it's going to be a better tested and it gives you the, it gives you the, the baseline and the process in which you can continue to improve that over time. This might surprise Jeff, but I, I, I have to, I have to be honest and say that I completely agree with the data approach because, um, there's so much, you just said it, there's so much emotion that can be wrapped up, especially in social media strategies where someone will say, no, but it has to look like this, or I want to say this, or look at this brand that's doing this. They're making jokes. Like, that's great. That's great for that brand. But you don't even have your own personality built out. You can't just jump in to Instagram and suddenly start telling jokes. Um, use, utilizing the data in that respect um, in many ways takes that emotion out. And I feel like that's a better conversation 
as opposed to saying like we can't do that. Well, why? Well, because and it does, and then it doesn't go anywhere. Um, so utilizing data, I, I think, is 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 much needed. Um, and can in many ways help new helps neutralize that that conversation. Um, have you found some people to be too emotional in terms of like, no, it has to be that because social media can feel that intimate or that close? Um, I think, you know, after the conversation, those people who are fixed in their ways end up not working with me <laughs> in all honesty. Um, and that's fine. I, you know, no one is, is the best fit for every organization, but I do think that companies that reach out to me have a problem, which is why they reached out to me, or they want to know what the potential is, or are they missing something? So I think they're really open to different ideas, how much they want to prioritize the new versus the old is one thing, because chances are they just want to know how to tweak the old to make it better. But I will always continually introduce the new, the new ideas. And I think just like working with an agency, that's why you want to work with a consultant. You want to know the new things, what they're missing out on, best practices, et cetera. So, so yeah, I, you know, I say, hey, marketing is extremely creative. There's different ways you can use that creative energy, like in your content, right? Uh, or in a podcast like this. So save it for that. But when it comes down to making decisions as to how much marketing budget you get and what you're able to show the CEO for your efforts, I mean, it has to be based on data. CEOs speak the language as Brian Solis says the language of Excel and PowerPoint. So you have to be able to bring it down to that level, I believe, at, at when you get to that higher level. And if you can't, it's going to be really hard to make an emotional appeal <laughs> to a CEO, um, especially if you have like a new CEO in town, uh, just based on what this emotional CMO said, you know, let's let's cut the budget. I, I don't want my clients to have to go through that. And uh also what you said in terms of, you know, making sure you're kind of on the cusp and bringing in those new creative ideas, ultimately, um, you know, resonating and connecting, you know, with the, your intended audience, um, is ultimately the goal. I, I, when you said email marketing, that sparked that for me too. I, I have had so many conversations about, um, why should that matter? No one reads emails anymore and so on. And, you know, I get spam emails all the time. It's like, well, sure, because they're probably poorly written or they're using too many, emo you know, emojis or whatever. But there's data that proves people still actually open emails. And on top of that, if you do it well and you have a nice trip campaign, you can actually convert them into someone who wants to read more of your things. Again, going back to, do you have good content? It's, it's really interesting that, um, it's 2022 and email marketing is still part of that conversation. Is that, is that surprising to you too? Or is it just because it resonates with audiences, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I just wanted to start out by saying for anyone who doubts email marketing, go to your favorite e-commerce store and look at that pop-up that says 10% off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's email marketing, yep. right? Yep. It's right there. Yep. It's right and they're there. doing it because it works. So, you know, I don't think it's surprising to me and we do more text and everything, but when you get into a corporate environment, it tends to be email. If you want to you know, get set up for Obamacare, you need an email address to go into a website. So I think, I think our society is still based on email. And I know people have said email is dead or email is dying. It's alive and well, and it, it is part of essential part of the internet uh, just for the purpose of having an email address password and then being able to do a two-step authorization, which you could do with text as well. But I think the email address has become the default for that. So it's not going anywhere. There's lots of spam. And you know, for me, all of this is about relationships, right? Email marketing, like a podcast, it gives you the ability to develop a relationship. And whether you take advantage of that or not, and if you're doing it, you're not getting results, then maybe people signed up to your list for the wrong reason. Maybe 
you've kept people on for 10 years that never open an email and you wonder why you get a you know 2% open rate. There's lots of things we can look at, but it, it really is powerful just for the, the, you know, the reason that with social media, you never know if and when your followers see your content. SEO is great, but you're together with other search results. You know, people come to your website, which is one of the goals of digital marketing for the 99% of people that don't convert. How do you continue the conversation? Well, email is the obvious way to do that. And, and you give them something of value to be able to, and then you continue giving them value with each email and not spamming them. And that's sort of how it works. And, and now you're, you know, you're, you're educating customers, you're nurturing them. There's obviously a lot of things you could do with, with, you know, sequences and marketing automation. We don't need to get into the details, but it is, you know, for me, and it, this is really fresh in my mind because I'm working on my next book, which is like this post COVID digital marketing playbook. And it comes down to search, social, and email, right? Email is one of those three big columns, one of those big three pillars, I think, that at the end of the day, social and search, getting people to your website doesn't guarantee you'll be able to continue that relationship you know, if they don't buy. And that's where email plays an extremely strategic role when done right. I, I was doing a, it's like a, a masterclass for Dean education on behalf of SEM Rush just today. And one of the comments immediately after I mentioned email marketing was, well, we're, we're talking to a group of you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds who don't respond to email. This is no longer their channel. Why are you bringing up email marketing? So, well, because in, in the workforce, in the business place, that is, that is the channel. We, we spend all of our time trying to do nothing but collect email addresses. So I, I would say the same thing may apply to you in social when you're switch, when channels start going dead and we start hopping to new channels. Um, what is that looking like for you as you're evaluating trends, people moving from Facebook to Instagram, Instagram to TikTok? And how is that changing the way that you approach consulting? Well, I think it comes down to number one, you always have to be doing R&D uh, and always need to understand those latest trends. I think Gary Vaynerchuk is a really good example. Now, he has this huge army of staff that allows him to do that a little easily, but it's really understanding, opening up accounts, uh, experimenting and, and understanding what those you know networks are about. Um, I tend not to be the first one to jump into something. So because I find the, the people that tend to be the first to jump into something, start evangelizing that. Oh, Clubhouse is the future of social media. Oh, Twitter spaces is the future of social media. Now we have NFTs are the future of social. No, NFTs are, are in investments, right? I mean, I understand how brands can leverage them going forward, but I don't go too far in because I've seen it happen with Google Plus. <laughs> Stumble upon with Dig, with MySpace. We can go back in history, right? It's really taking this, was it Confucius who says, you know, the middle road's always the best road. It's really always trying to put things in perspective and say, yes, if you're going after junior high schoolers, high schoolers, TikTok is going to be your main platform and don't hire me. Let's work together on hiring TikTok influencers because that's going to be your best result. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it, it is understanding and always being on the lookout and experimenting, um, going to conferences, reading blog posts, what have you, so that you have a good understanding of what the dynamics are. But also understanding sometimes the blogosphere, people evangelize things because they want to monetize it, right? They want to show that they're an expert in, in something. And you really need to have some historical perspective on all of it. And that's why, yeah, the newer people to the space that just, they became, you know, experts just through Clubhouse, they're sort of lost when you start talking about other platforms because that's 
only the world they know, right? For example. I got to call Francis out. If there's a new channel coming out, he's going to pick the wrong one. Clubhouse, he jumped right on that one. He still sends me <laughs> articles from from StumbleUpon. I'm all, what the hell is this? StumbleUpon. That's so untrue. I, I remember StumbleUpon. So I will check my email, sir. It is all on, <laughs> it is all on record. If there's a wrong, if there's a wrong thing to evangelize, you're going to be the first evangelist on the list. Boy, no, I, I do not. I, I do like to explore. I will admit to that because I remember in February, I forget now, maybe 2019, you had told me that story about TikTok, how it was like the number one that weekend. And I said, I've never heard of this. And so I downloaded it immediately to kind of check it out. And for real, probably a month later, Neil, I, I knew it was something because I'm like, I was 40 something and I was watching this app for hours for no reason. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but if it can hold my attention that long, there's something here. Um, I will absolutely explore. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, Cl- I, I was never allowed on clubhouse cause I had a, I had a Samsung. I still have a oh. Samsung. And so I didn't have access to it until recently. I told you about it to check it out cause you had Apple. Um, but uh, to this day, I actually I've I've gone into one clubhouse session. I didn't know what to do with it, and then I just let it be. <laughs> so I have I haven't done much with it. But yeah, I will own up to that. I will absolutely I will absolutely explore. Um, but you're right, Neil. People who do jump, I mean, uh, uh, people who do jump in immediately, yeah, you can kind of see it. You know, this is the year for XX or whatever it might be. Um, it, it just turns into that that noise that you kind of see, uh, you know, a lot in in, in marketing sometimes. Um, what's interesting is that um, with with TikTok, it has evolved into part of the conversation. You know, you're right. You don't. Not everyone should be on TikTok. You know, brands can definitely utilize it to get messages out and have positions. Um, but you don't you're not supposed to be like it's it has to be a certain person. It has to be a certain generation that can utilize it well and work with the brand, not the actual brand on there. Um, and it's it's a very interesting, um, interesting platform. Um, do you think there is another level? There probably is. But is there another level of evolution that that will happen in, with TikTok in the in the coming months or even year? I think we need to see, you know, we have two things going on. You have COVID. Right. Yeah. And I was at a conference. There were 5000 of us in Louisville, Kentucky, and none of us were wearing masks. Now, you had to show you were vaccinated and or you did a negative test uh, in order to get in. Um, now you have a new, you know, Omicron, uh, what's it, the B variant that's in Europe that's coming back over to the U S at some point. So we don't know when we're going to be out of COVID and we don't know how much COVID has influenced these platforms. Like would clubhouse have been a thing if we didn't have COVID Would TikTok have become as popular as it is if we didn't have COVID. So once we get out of COVID, it's going to answer some of those questions, right? Um, the other one is you have this battle of Google, Facebook, and now TikTok. So extending TikToks to 10 minutes means they're going after YouTube. And in fact, they were, it was a few months ago, you probably saw the stat as well, that they were like more traffic than YouTube, um, which is really compelling that they're this mainstream. Uh, I think like with every social network, guys, you've seen it as well. It always goes beyond the first generation. Facebook went beyond college students, obviously. LinkedIn is now, I would consider it almost a millennial platform in terms of the active content creators on the platform. Instagram just used to be for really young people. Guess what, right? As as more and more kids, and now the kids, they don't just want an Instagram account. They want a second account on Snapchat so they know their parents aren't on Snapchat. 
And then you have TikTok. So to me, TikTok has become, and when I look at, I have two high schoolers, so I, I, you know, witness it. They're not posting TikToks. It's pure consumption and it's pure entertainment. And there is some information tied in, but I, I look at, you know, a platform like YouTube, it's education and it's also entertainment. And I think this whole short form video thing is sapping all the entertainment value from YouTube and bringing it into these social media platforms. So, you know, a 15 second, 30 second, 60 second, three minutes. But when it gets to 10 minutes, you know, I think that's really where YouTube is strong. And I wonder how much people are going to sit there for 10 minutes watching a, a video on TikTok. I don't know, right? Time will tell. But, um, but yeah, the whole short form video thing uh, is just going more and more mainstream. We have Pinterest idea pins, um, you know, Google web stories, YouTube shorts, we can go on and on. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But, I, you know, I always say it's not a revolution. It's an evolution. Will there be a new social media platform? Probably. I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like, but um, they're all looking at each other, copying each other and trying to evolve. Um, you know, TikTok though truly was the game changer with that content format, which really did revolutionize the way that we engage in social. And for a lot of content marketers, it's a type of content that is really hard to grasp and hard to do. But I think people are going to get better at it. Brands are going to get, get better at it. TikTok is going to expand its audience I see ads for like in, like at the LA airport, there were ads for TikTok. They're obviously trying to get outside of that demographic. And over time, it's going to become a platform, I believe, more similar to an Instagram. And Instagram is going to become more similar to TikTok, right? Uh, it's only a matter of time. So, you know, I, I, I continue to keep an eye on these things. But knowing that it is an evolution, it to me means I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry that I'm missing something that, you know, you're never too late to be on a platform. But you just always want to keep an eye on those trends. And when those data points come out, you know, when they're reported, understand what that means. I think about this a lot because you mentioned kids. I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. And when I think about – and they, they, they're playing around with – they know about TikTok. They watch videos on there too. Um, but when I think about their future and what social media might look for them – I always wonder if it's if it's just going to be so different because of everything we know, the, 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 the good and the bad and the ugly with social media. Does it evolve to a place where it is so different that it is almost unrecognizable to people like us, where we've kind of almost lived through the bad? I'm hoping anyway, I guess it could always get worse. Um, but I always think about that with them, because even when they were on it, I was I, I told them, look, dad might get a little mad because you're, you're on the phone a lot because I know how addicting this is and I might you know, fly off the handle. But I think about that a lot. That plus that they're growing up in COVID times. I mean, you're right. After COVID, does TikTok survive? I think that's a fair question. Who knows? We don't know. I hope we find out because that means we'll be out of COVID times. Um, right. But I think I think that'll be that'll be something good to note. You know, Francis, um, on that note, just real quick, the, yeah, the, yeah. Common, the common thing I see with my kids is that they're not creating content. A generation ago, the millennials were just posting anything and everything <laughs> up on Facebook and, and they ended up deleting their accounts, right? I think with TikTok especially, and even with Instagram, my daughter has, I don't know, one or 2,000 friends or followers. Just most high schoolers have followers and engagement rates that brands would be really jealous of, right? But she only has like a few posts. It's direct messaging or it's like a second account that doesn't have their name on it. So, and then TikTok, very few people are actually publishing content on it. So I think this new generation are smarter. They know that posting content can impact their future. And they're, they're, we're back to more people being lurkers and less <laughs> part of the creator economy, which means it's supply and demand. And that's why some things can go really viral on TikTok. It's also why 
the Instagrams, the YouTubes want to pay creators to be part of creating reels and shorts because there's just not enough content, right? So it's, it's a really, really interesting, uh, you know, world going forward where, you know, there may not be as much content, believe it or not, in social that we're used to seeing from our generations. That makes, that makes so much sense. It makes me feel better, honestly, just thinking about the future. Um, but it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense regarding, um, what goes viral and, and, and just all the consumption that's happening. Um, I know we're up against time. So Neil, um, was there anything else you wanted to mention to the audience? Anything you want to plug before we, uh, before we jump off? Um, no, um, I just think there's so much potential, you know, we're talking about sort of like the future of, of all this. And usually I say, Hey, have you done everything we talked about? Do you have a podcast? What's your YouTube channel looking like? Where are you in the search engine rankings for your content? Do you have lead magnets, right? What, what does the customer journey look like? Are you doing market? Are, you know, very, very few companies are actually doing all this. And the smaller scale the company goes, the less of it they're doing. So I always say, don't worry about the future, right? The, it, it's the here and now that counts. You don't have to be on TikTok, okay? I just want to let you know, you don't have to do Instagram reels to be successful at Instagram. There's a lot of stuff that people say you have to do. You don't have to do any of it. But you have to understand the potential and make the investments where it counts. And if you're a content marketer listening to this podcast, which I believe you are, in some ways you're sort of like a leader because content marketing really feeds in the, it, it feeds in the SEO, it feeds in the social media. Um, it, it, it's like, you know, a, a very, very important, uh, you know, B2B companies investing 40% of their, their marketing budgets in content. It's just this really, really critical piece of the puzzle and you can bring tremendous value to your marketing department. So just stick with the data and stick with the here and now. And, I, and that's really the best advice I think I can give you. Here, here. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Neil.